right, let's just get going and we can shoot from the hip, as it were. We are with Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Steve and Corey. And we've got Steve, obviously, listeners. Um, Hello. Given that it's been six months since we checked in with Patrick because of various work-related shenanigans, uh, there's probably three, if we sort of go around America in a circle, three things we should probably talk about that have happened. There's a few things we should talk about. One of them is Andrew Cuomo. Because, Patrick, I feel like you've been wanting to talk about the rise, at, but most importantly, the fall of Andrew Cuomo. Oh, Andrew Cuomo. For a while. I know you've always been a big fan of his. <laughs> What's there to say? Democratic Trump, one could say. Believes he could do no wrong or something like that. But, well, Cuomo. Okay, Cuomo had four different impeachable offenses over the period of a couple, a couple of years. There was the chief of staff uh, going to prison for corruption, the nursing home debacle where he undercounted COVID deaths in in nursing homes when he gave them up. There is the uh, prioritizing COVID tests for his family members when they were scarce in the beginning. And then there is the multitude of women that said they've been sexually harassed. Sorry, allegedly sexually harassed by by uh, Cuomo, so four different ones. He finally resigned because he realized that the the state assembly, so the lower house, that would be that would move the the articles of impeachment, as in the American system, to indict him, were was most likely going to pass with a over supermajority of Democrats, and to have passed in the state senate. He finally said, "I'm going out of my terms." So that, um, so resigning before you're impeached, I believe, is known as going the full Nixon, isn't it? Correct. In one way, it's a hell of a story because he was in the early days of the pandemic doing his daily briefings, writing books about leadership, was sort of seen as a bit of a a long shot presidential nominee, wasn't he? Much to your horror. Um, That's right. It wasn't just a shocking abuse of power and just the, the, the shocking revelations. It's the fact that Cuomo then tried to say it's fine because Barack Obama hugged people too. Because there was a dossier, wasn't there, that was basically a whole list of sort of showing presidents hugging people after various national traumas, which made it perfectly fine for him to make unwarranted sexual advances towards women. (laughs) Also, I forgot another one. The book deal, using state resources for the book deal in the middle, his version of President, Obama, uh, President Bush's mission accomplished. So it hurt the lieutenant governor, which is generally usually a pretty ceremonial appointment. Uh, the lieutenant governor basically is uh, appointed in near state, runs with the governor, but is pretty much the biggest things that lieutenant governor does is they're the Senate president, similar to like vice president of the United States. They're, they are acting governor when the governor lives leaves the state of New York and goes to all the press ops and various press conferences and in, in events that the governor doesn't want to go to. Well, that's, that's basically it. So him resigning, Kathy Holchul. Kathy Holchul is from the, is the first upstate governor. So from, you know, above Albany in like 40 some years, first woman governor in the, in the history of the state of New York. She's from the Buffalo area, so Western New York. Ran for Congress and stuff like that. Pretty well liked. Um, but vastly different than Cuomo in a lot of ways. It's not have nearly the personality, the Napoleonic complex, one would say personality uh, uh, complex that Cuomo has. She uh, seems to be very much more about getting crap done with the right people and not, you know, not doing it for political gain. In a couple of weeks she's here, she's moved forward stuff that Cuomo was stonewalling. 
An example being we passed to legalize cannabis to use the English to use the British term, um, but but Cuomo didn't wanted it to be more power more more money for the state, but because there's a majority of Democrats in both both uh, chambers of the New York State of New York State Legislature, they passed it how they wanted to it, and he had to sign it. So he was throwing more of a pity party because he didn't get his way. So he has to appoint an executive director to the Cannabis Control Commission or authority, I forget what that's called. And he wasn't, he was stonewalling it just to, just to prove a point and to win some political points. So leadership of the city state legislature met with her and she's, and within 24 hours, she moved, she appointed somebody for them to get started in setting up, setting up the regulation scheme for one. So the example, things like that, she's um, just saying the right things and trying to make a competent government, government, competent government, um, she will probably be the odds-on favorites uh, to win the Democratic nomination and most likely winning the Democratic nomination in New York means you're guaranteed to be governor. She seems pretty good. She has a solid Western New York accent, which is, it's it's, it's like a breath of fresh air for most New Yorkers to see some, to see a company governor that not out there to win political points for themselves. That bringing forward the, the cannabis legislation, is that, was that bipartisan or is that a sort of, is that a very much a Democrat thing? very much democratic thing they didn't pass it in this they didn't pass it in the last cycle of the one so basically rundown state assembly of new york is almost a near permanent supermajority for democrats but in the state senate um it is not was it was uh not it's the maps were to talk about uh, partisan gerrymandering the maps for the state senate were were done in 2010 by what at the time was a Democrat, a Republicanly held state Senate, New York. So the, 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 the actual districts were not favorable to Democrats. And they ended up getting the majority in 2018, but a decent amount of the swing state senators didn't really want to pass it because they didn't know how it was going to react in their districts. And they thought they had a tough one. Come to the 2020 election, they get a majority in the state Senate and they passed it pretty much there might have been a couple of Republicans that might have passed there, but pretty much Democrats won. And uh, it's more groundbreaking because it has a lot of stuff that they call equity that some of the other legislation, cannabis legislations that have been passed in the U.S. haven't really figured out what do you, how do you solve the issue of people being in jail for small amounts of marijuana, uh, three ounces that have been jailed for two in one day. So they worked very hard on the equity part of that bill in terms of how the funding gets redistributed to to communities that been have been devastated by the drug by the drug trade and and a lot more different. So they tend to think that the United the New York's cannabis legalization legislation was, was a groundbreaking one in terms of uh, act, answering the equity uh, question. Uh, most importantly, so it's a good solid Western New York accent. For those of us not quite au fait with American accents as we should, what cultural reference points are there? So which actors or celebrities would you say have a pretty similar Western New York accent? It, uh, that's a good question. I, I'm spacing on people from Buffalo, New York that you would know. But the best way to explain it is they have a slightly longer A on stuff. So like, I mean, I could throw some names there, but I don't know if you know who they are. That's uh, Rick James, the musician. Oh, Wolf Blitzer is apparently from there. Uh... Oh, Yeah. So is Tim Russert, or who passed away. He was from Western New York as well. Um, actually, someone that actually might stand up that most that most you Brits might match. You know, David Boreanaz, the guy who played like Angel um, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, C.D. Booth in Bones. He's quite well known. It's very interesting the accent in Western New York. So oh, Western also New York Chad Michael Murray. 
Oh, Tim, he's a he's a solid. He, you can hear yeah. it on him. It's it's a just it's like very different than the kind of one would say brunt and you know one that is the New York accent that I you know I my dad has a very good Long Island accent, so it's very like weirdly breath of fresh air than hearing someone say the word sweater, butter, coffee, orange. I hope that you enjoy your decriminalized marijuana and New York accents and <laughs> a governor that you don't actually despise. I can't really think of a, of a segue for that, but the, if we're going to do a bit of a tour, imagine we're sort of going around America sort of clockwise and you were to do that for a very, very long time. You'd eventually hit Texas. And something that's that's happened since we last spoke was the, it was the Texas Supreme Court, wasn't it, who have, to all intents and purposes, managed to ban abortion in Texas, haven't they? Yeah. Also, so we'll go right to to your segue. A governor I do despise. Ah, <laughs> here we go. Yeah, because yeah, I suppose Gavin Newsom, isn't it? Who's uh, solid. No, Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, but it, it, in Texas, there's actually there's two big legislations. There was the banning abortion after six weeks, while also giving a bounty to snitch on people that do get one which is absolutely ridiculous to be no end um the texas Supreme court not stopping it on constitutional grounds and then going to the Supreme court and uh i suggest you and your listeners look up the the shadow docket is a term i i'm not well to explain it well but it's the use of conservative justices of how you shadow docket so either not ruling on something or you know so they chose not to pick it up in a five four, in a five four, decided not to challenge the constitutionality of this Texas Supreme Court uh, abortion. On top of also, Texas also passed a very restrictive voting voting bill. I despise the governor of Texas de- defining and demanding that local municipalities can put in mass mandates requiring their employees to be vaccinated. You know, it's just, it's just, it's now turning into Florida with. Uh, cowboy hats <laughs> so one of the things that i'm finding just like, ab- like you, you've kind of already mentioned this patrick but like the fact that there's like bounty lines being, that are being set up and where you can get a reward for basically snitching on someone if they have have had a had an abortion or have assisted somebody in having an abortion it, it's it's absolutely mental um it, it it's just so far down like the dystopian rabbit hole that i just i, I just can't see how it's it's it, it's kind of ended up here from an outside perspective but what i would say was what's been quite helpful or at least kind of somewhat makes everything seem a little less bad over overall is that there's actually been what appears to be a reasonable corporate response to a lot of this stuff so you've had situations where both like Uber, Lyft, who are obviously big kind of like um, international like um, uh, kind of like taxi companies, um, but have both put out like statements basically saying, yeah, we think this law is actually ridiculous. And because uh, like under this law, any of our drivers who happen to pick somebody up and they have went and did a thing would be liable for, for I think even prison time potentially never let alone fines and they've basically just just turned around and said yeah if anything like that does happen they have the full force of our corporate might behind to defend them and you're seeing lots of little things coming out from like the corporate world that this is stupid and this shouldn't be happening um and so it's one of those things where like Texas has been 
trying to and somewhat successfully been positioning it, itself as an alternative to Silicon Valley by like a lot of tech companies have been trying to move out of like California to somewhere else. Um, I tried, but largely due to the fact that California's one very expensive in a lot of ways, just in terms of general cost of living, but also tends to be quite more heavily taxed and, and all of that. And these companies obviously want to try and reduce that tax burden on themselves. And and Texas, low tax state. And so they've been kind of like beginning to, to migrate down there. But you're going to have, but now Texas with passing this law is probably going to be putting a bit of a kibosh on that because you're going to have a situations where the very sorts of people who they're looking, who these companies need to attract to, to move to Texas so that they can work in and around Texas aren't going to want to do that now because they're not because of laws like this and it's just the general reputation that texas has managed to garner for itself it's possible that in inadvertently with with this sort of legislation texas is managing to damage its own economy as well it's morally it's just wrong intellectually it's just stupid and everything just seems to be like just, just, just happening for 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 no no good reason at all, and it's just I, I'm just hoping that it's one of those things which it will very much just fall apart like a house of cards in the near in the near future in 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 some form. But sadly, the um, the most likely thing to do that would have been like the Supreme Court. But as you say, that shadow docket, whereby they've just basically said no, we don't want to talk about this. We're just going to let them get on with it and do their own thing. Just meaning that there's. There's no way to challenge this really at the moment, um, at least not constitutionally. So it needs to come down more or less to an electoral uh, on an electoral on an electoral level. God only knows if that's possible, especially when you take it into consideration with the like the voting rights stuff and everything that they're doing as well. The other thing too is a lot of people have said that you know there's like you know this whole thing. Oh, we pay less taxes and and for and and in Texas versus California corporation tax. Yes, but I was seeing reading a thought on Twitter. Basically, that in terms of the top one percent or the top twenty percent of income, um, one yes, they pay less taxes in in Texas in Texas than they pay in one. But if you look at the lower end, so like the bottom twenty percent, they pay more in taxes, effective tax rate, than people in California do. So it's good for really rich people. But I always ask myself with these related to the the the, the, the voting rights restrictions and particularly the abortions is that. These to me feel that these could backfire on them in that if you start to lose upper class educated uh, white Americans or white Texans at this point, the people that do know how to vote, they have the voter ID vote, you know, are considered high propensity voters. If they turn on you in decent numbers in the suburbs, that could backfire in against Texas Republicans. It's the same exact thing with Georgia is that if there is a viewpoint that, you know, upper class whites, for lack of a term, middle class whites uh, with, with, you know, college degrees decide to start turning on you who generally vote, it feels like you're playing by fire by pushing too hard. And so sort of Steve's point directly, Steve was sort of asking, what why do it if it doesn't make sense? I suppose, well, isn't, this is an ideological thing, isn't it? This is, I believe the Texas legislature is all men, isn't it? I don't think there was a single woman in that legislature who would have vote, who voted for that abortion ruling. And so this is about ideology, but it's also about power, isn't it? So you get a real sense of what the priorities of the GOP are now, which are essentially 
to crack down on voting to keep themselves in power, to crack down on the rights of women, massively leverage conspiracy theories, whether that's about the 2020 election, whether that's about vaccines, whether that's about mask mandates. I mean, you've got the situation where Donald Trump is now being booed at his own rallies for saying he should get vaccinated. We're at a sort of proper revolution eating its young moment here that it was quite amusing or terrifying or tear-inducing to see Amy Coney about talking about how the Supreme Court is now a partisan instrument. I mean... Does irony exist anymore? Or are we just in a post-irony world? Are we... That, that use of the shadow docket to, like, not look at this at this abortion uh, effective abortion ban in 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 texas tells us exactly how the conservatives are intending to fight this culture war now um and suddenly it all makes sense just in general why barrett was rushed through why they had to get all of these other people people through because this is the only way they can get it because actually legally like if these things do come up on a constitutional basis it's probably a case that, you know, um, a number of the conservative um, uh, members of the Supreme Court may feel that they have to kind of back, you know, settled law like Roe v. Wade and, and things like that for, for various reasons. But there's a way around it now. And they can just not talk about it and they can just let things happen. Uh, which is... Like, we need to pay attention to that shadow docket moving forward, I think, because that's where I think an awful lot of decisions are going to get made for the foreseeable future. It, that was the rationale for Republicans backing Trump, wasn't it? The, the relationship, yeah. certainly before Trump sort of captured the Republican base, it was purely transactional. It was, you are voting for the president to get your Supreme Court justices in, which, if you were to think about the separation of powers for about 30 seconds your mind would just melt the fact that we're sort of constitutionally in that situation. Yeah. Separate but equal, Patrick. Isn't that what it says on the Yeah, that's exactly. Co, you know, co-equal branches of government. Controlling the courts is what's going to giving lasting a lasting, you know, power of the conservative movement, even if they lose the House, the Senate. One, you know, it's going to take forever. And he's betting on one other thing, he's betting on the Democrats will not expand the bench on the Supreme Court or on the federal level. Trump See the win. fifth largest economy in the country in the world we go, California. So we were talking about this a little before we started recording. And essentially, I think the consensus was that the recall laws in California are almost as messed up as, well, the UK's electoral system, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Your it, fixed parliament act. Although I'm guessing that the California recall <laughs> law wasn't quite just brought in to please Nick Clegg. Although you never know, right? Butterfly flaps his wings and all that. So Gavin Newsom won the recall election with a good two thirds, wasn't it? Saying, uh, people voting, saying that- 63%. He can stay as governor, which is nice. So, and there was a recall because essentially the state GOP were trying to gain the system, weren't they? And hope that no one would sort of noticed that the recall election was happening and wouldn't bother voting. He went out to eat at a dinner party during when he had told Californians to stay home and put stay-at-home orders in, and he was out celebrating a friend's, you know, was at a party celebrating, you know, at, at a restaurant during when he's telling America, telling the rest of Californians not to. That added to the average California GOP, which was, we just don't like him because he's a Democrat and he's infringing a freeman. They thought they were able to use that against it to try to say hypocrite. Could 
other Californians eat out at this time too? They weren't supposed to. They weren't supposed to, but they could. Yeah, I mean, like New York, for example, is that stay of home orders, you know, the wonderful U.S. uh, Constitution allows you to not, you should follow the government orders, but, you know, unless they pass, you know, the the example of New York is New York could never do a stay at home order or tell people to stay home because they don't have the option to, unless they call state of emergency, able to just like keep people in their house from traveling because the state constitution is a lot stronger. But the state of home orders, you know, yeah, the stay-at-home orders there don't go off for essential ones, but they weren't, you know, they, you know, it's it's up to the local authority that wants to properly follow the rule of law, and I don't control that, you know. It's it's guidance, but restaurants were still open. He went to a restaurant. I believe they were probably out for takeout only at the time, so they could have, um, you know, had a private party or something like that. That's what happened in New York. They went to takeout only. Basically, that what they were trying to go on hypocrisy as a reason for pushing the recall. So Republicans managed to trigger a recall petition because they've got signatures equal to is it 12 percent i think of the votes in the last goodness away election of the and electorate got, of the electorate yeah sorry and um and they got that because a trump inclined judge gave them a four-month extension yeah on top of you know the way to talk california it's a very interesting state it's a state that's um it's a very, very more or less interesting state as we think of California as this incredibly liberal pa- paradise. And particularly vote-wise and election-wise, yes, because L.A. is super big and so is, you know, the, there's these two very big metro regions that always vote Democratic. Well, three, San Diego, L.A., and, and San Francisco, or the Bay Area. But there is a large area called Central California, or the center, Central Valley, as they call it, that first off is where majority of our fruits and vegetables come from. 25% of all produce comes from Central Valley of, of California, you know, strawberries and stuff like that, because they have, they can go one, Napa Valley are wine areas in, in Central Valley. It's an important, it's the, now the breadbasket of one huge agriculture state is California. And it's super, super conservative. So there's still a vest, there's a decent amount of conservatives and, and Republicans inside of California. Both Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon were governors there, weren't they? Not too long ago. Yeah, I mean, remember also, it's like Oregon, which is considered a liberal paradise, had Republican-led government in the 80s. And, you know, then there was this move to social conservancy in the Republican Party, and these kind of states kind of fell down. But there's a lot of them. So you can get your 12% in the Central Valley and Orange County, which is tends to be very one. To get to that 12% is very easy, but that is a very low number to then trigger a uh, to trigger an election. But California is like a lot of many of the Western states. And they have this direct democracy clauses in their in their in their state constitutions. New York does not. New York does not have any direct democracy. You can't put petitions, put something in a ballot. They can put stuff on there, but it has to be referred by the legislature to 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 the ballot. So there's the measure system, stuff like that. And California system is incredibly flawed in the system goes 12 percent to get on the ballot. And then basically it's the two question one. First question, should Governor Gavin Newsom be removed? Yes or no? And if he gets 50 plus one, he stays governor. 50 minus one, he gets removed governor. Then question two is, who should replace him? And anybody and their mother can run for these ones. In the case of this one, there was 47 candidates on the ballot. So as long as you were the one that had the highest number of votes among that 47, which could, all you know, could be 23% of the vote, you then are governor. This system, th- this is the thing I don't get, because in terms of recall petitions, I don't think there's necessarily a problem with the 
recall in principle. So in the UK, we have them if it, I think, the, and then the threshold actually is less than it is for California. So it's 10% of constituents sign the petition, then you can trigger a recall election. So that's happened a couple of times, it happened in Peterborough with Fiona Rosania, happened in Brecon and North Transfordshire as well. But when you hit the threshold, and you've only got six weeks to get the 10% once you've kind of got the petition in not four months, if that threshold is reached, then the sitting candidate can, essentially you trigger a new election. You've got the, the, the sitting MP can stand if they want. And then everyone else can stand as a candidate as well. Whereas yet here you could end up with someone uh, kind of chosen by about 2% of the, elect- of the total electorate, couldn't you? Feels almost like it was designed to be gamed. But I'm guessing that wasn't quite why it was designed like that, isn't it? It's just deeply flawed. The issue the issue comes in, Oregon fall, runs into this issue as well, is that if you want to put something on the ballot, and I remember working for it, they, they will hire signature gathering country company companies, hire people to go around to get the signatures, right? How you ask the question, hey, do you hate Gavin Newsom? Please sign here. We want to get rid of him. Instead of like, you know, th- there's ways to game the system in terms of that 12%. 12% is just too low to remove a sitting governor. They will never get changed because it will look like you're going against the voters. Because it was, you know, it was during this time that they was put in there during these kind of very populist, in the 1850s and 60s, there was these very, very more towards populist in 1920s anti-corruptions. For example, of why the state capital of California is in Sacramento and either not in SLA and San Fr- or San Francisco. And it's because they figured if they put it in the biggest cities, there would be corruption. If you build a perfect built city that's away from the corruption, no corruption will happen. That's literally why Oregon's capital is in Salem, not in Portland. Where everybody lives. I thought it was just like witch trials. Correct. You know, it would be like teenage witch, maybe. Hmm. There's two things. That was a waste of absolute money. The the most expensive dinner bill that the you know that that the Californians ever paid is that. So it was like something like three hundred million dollars they spent on that recall election. He's up for re-election in eighteen months. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing I found quite interesting was that for for the first half of this like recall. Uh, election, the Democratic Party just didn't seem to be paying attention. But there was a genuine concern, at least about after about halfway through, that actually you might lose this. Uh, we'd end up with a Republican governor of California of all places. And then suddenly the Democrats started actually campaigning. And then lo and behold, it's, I don't, I don't know if blowout's quite the right right term, but it was a pretty impressive result. It, it, it's showing just quite an interesting little thing for how the democrats might need to to look at things moving forward in that even amongst the, the even in their heart heartland like california there is still potential for them to be to have problems that's that that's been made very clear but if they do actually put their arse in gear and develop a plan follow the plan actively campaign they can over overcome whatever the republicans throw at them so in that way it's quite quite a positive little thing but at the same time, not everywhere is California. Whilst it was like, you know, 60 plus percent in, uh, in favour of Newsom keeping his job, you'd want that to be higher in California, I feel, um, given like the low nature, the, the nature of the turnout and, uh, and, and, and everything. I think the turnout was a lot higher than they expected Two People were really interested in, in it. But uh, he also, for what it's worth, his, the winning percentage for him for the no, which would be not to, to not recall him, was two points higher than his last election. So he got 61% of the vote in his 2018 election cycle. Pretty good sign and, for him uh, re- winning re-election, then, you'd think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, 
you know, it's those things like you guys in the Brit, the, in the British system, is that do not try to make trends out of one by election, an off year an election. So does it well, look don't like tell them excited? that? Bloody hell, they based <laughs> their entire conference. Hello, Mark, by the way. <laughs> they based the whole conference around the Jeshim by election. Sorry. Mark, I hope the uh, conference is going well. California is, they will be losing three congressional districts because of the census. Turning out, and if they see growth in some of these areas that they could lose based on changes, areas in like um, the outer suburbs of San Francisco. So like what they refer to San Bernardino or Orange County, which is for lack of a term, it's very different than the rest of the LA area. It's very, it's very can upper class that, you know, it is kind of good to show turnout. It, you know, there, it, it doesn't change. I don't think it changed the headwinds in a lot of places, but like it is showing that there's still enthusiasm even when Trump's not on the ballot, which is, I think, very good to see. Which, because if you to more relate from California to the midterm elections, is kind of this number one unknown is whether these Republicans really, 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 really want to vote for Republicans and will go out and vote for them, or did they come out in this high turnout because Trump is on the ballot? Because no matter how you gerrymander it, it, you gerrymander it as now the le- Cook political puts it as an R plus two as of what you know the first rounds of redistricting and 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 ones, which down from a three to four high turnout of Democrats to kind of keep the one to you know hold the Senate, gain the Senate, hold the House, and and elect up and down to one. If they're more interested and in Republicans are just not there and ter- not the enthusiasm there because Trump's not there. It, it, it could be very different than what m- most people think than what is to be expected in 2022 returns. Um, so that's not only a very interesting point to end on, but also I think given that you've started speculating about the midterms, definitely time to <laughs> cut that short. No predictions. <laughs> this episode originally came out on Patreon in a slightly longer version for the people who support us on there. And if you want to hear the uber extended take what would you have to do steve you'd have to head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where for but a few pounds every week uh, sorry every month i should say uh you can uh receive these uh unique or full episodes of these uh, sort of discussions that we have which are made only available to our champagners and occasionally put up on here but if you always want to get them you, you need to throw us some some cash simple as i mean you you could throw us a few pounds a month. There's nothing wrong with throwing us a few pounds every week. Yeah, if you want to throw us every a few day, pounds every week as well. Every minute, yeah. honestly. The more you want to give us, the the, the, the the better, honestly. Everything goes towards running this thing. So uh... Our website is nothingofchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash nothingofchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Cookie Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Cook 11 I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy button. <laughs>